On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. baby welcome in it is a tuesday and a wednesday edition of new york new york with yours truly jj johnson stremsky right here on the ringer podcast network and you know i wondered if the major league baseball offseason would take forever to get going because of the looming specter of the cba and the lockout and all the stuff that could proceed over the next month and would it delay free agency or would it be the opposite? We have guys basically scramble left and right saying, hey, we want to get our ducks in a row. We want to get our ducks in order. We want to make sure we're paid before any of this goes down in the early portion of December. Well, we're starting to get our answer because a lot of guys are starting to trickle in and sign with different teams. And locally, we now can say goodbye to Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard, when he came up in 2015, he was one of the comic book heroes for the New York Mets. You think about that rotation that got to the World Series. It was DeGrom. It was Harvey, who was the megastar. He's dating supermodels, the Dark Knight, blah, blah, blah. But then Syndergaard was this Adonis. He's a physical specimen. He looks like he could be living in Williamsburg with the blonde man bun that he's rocking, but he pitched like a badass. And in 2015 and in 2016, Noah Syndergaard was one of the best pitchers in the National League. The numbers back that up. Since the 2016 season, where Syndergaard, to me, was at his peak, the last four to five years from injuries to, at times, underperformance, Considering what the standard was, 
there was always this hope for more. That's the way I looked at Noah Syndergaard. I thought he was going to profile as one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. I really did. So I think anybody who listened to me throughout Syndergaard's tenure with the New York Mets probably was like, JJ, you were a jerk to him. You were too hard on him. You killed him all the time when you were doing hits on SOI. And that's all true. I thought 2019, he had an incredibly disappointing season considering how much smack he took. I'm putting all that in the open because I think anybody who knows me knows that I haven't been Noah Syndergaard's biggest fan because there is that sentiment of what could have been and that you should be much better than you actually are. With all that being on the table, I wanted Syndergaard back on the Mets this year because you have an owner that has unlimited resources. You have an owner that clearly wants to win and the Mets are in dire need of starting pitching. So when they offered Syndergaard the qualifying offer for $17 million a year and everything he said leading into the end of the regular season, I kind of thought it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to take that $17 million qualifying offer. I was very surprised, quite frankly, when I woke up this morning and I got the notification on my phone that Noah Syndergaard had signed a one-year, $21 million deal with the Anaheim Angels. And it signals to me a couple of different things here. Number one, the Anaheim Angels are desperate to win with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. They desperately need starting pitching. That's why they're going and giving a guy who's pitched two innings in the last two years, $21 million a year. But my caveat to that is Andrew Heaney, who stinks, who's an embarrassment, who got put by the New York Yankees, just got eight from the Los Angeles Dodgers. The point I'm trying to make is that crazy, crazy money is being thrown out the way of starting pitchers. I would have rolled the dice on Syndergaard. I thought it was going to be a return. He liked living here. I thought he liked being a Met, blah, blah, blah. I guess I was wrong. That, to me, is where the disconnect lies. Yes, Syndergaard went to the highest bidder, which appears to be Anaheim. But clearly, Syndergaard, despite everything he said publicly, didn't want to be a New York Met. Because if he loved being a Met so much, and New York was where he wanted to be, it was his heart, it was his soul, blah, 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 he's back for $17 million this year. He's back on a prove-it contract, and then he figures out free agency after a full season, back, throwing innings, doing what he needs to do. Something's up within the New York Mets for Noah Syndergaard to basically say, you know what, I'm going to Anaheim, California. The second thing you got to address here, this is a big blow for the Met rotation. I know some aren't going to look at it that way because they're going to say, JJ has pitched a whole lot. But you need arms. You don't have them. Now Marcus Stroman could basically bend you over backwards. He's going to ask for $25, $26, $27 million a year. He's a good pitcher. He's not a great pitcher. For what it's worth, Syndergaard at his best, Stroman at his best, it's not even close. Syndergaard's a better pitcher. And the Mets, and I can't blame this regime, they didn't make this call. Who in their right mind would rather have Marcus Stroman on their team than Zach Wheeler, who 
for my money, is the National League Cy Young Award winner. That was a move that the Brody Van Wagenen mess completely, completely screwed up. But now you think about this rotation that years ago, you, you dreamed of Harvey, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Mats being here a long time. You're down to one. That's crazy to think about. You're down to one. And with the Mets not bringing back Noah Syndergaard and with Noah Syndergaard not giving the Mets an opportunity to go and match what Anaheim gave him, that means this front office that, oh, by the way, has a new general manager since the last time we had a conversation, Billy Epler, who is well-regarded, who is well-liked, but clearly was choice number seven for the New York Mets, ends up getting the game. Is it an inspiring choice? Not necessarily. Does that mean it's going to be a monumental failure? I can't say that. Well, I, people around the sport love Billy Epler. Didn't work out with the Angels. I don't love giving Matt Harvey one year, $12 million contracts, but you had a lot of circumstances around that baseball team that kind of put you in a very, very tough spot. So we'll see if Epler can do a better job. And I'd be encouraged hearing some of these managerial names. Buck Showalter's name is on that list. Eric Chavez, who I really liked, his name is on that list. I'm not in love with Brad Osmus. I would not hire Brad Osmus if I'm the Mets. But all of a sudden, the Mets, who have been waiting to have their new leader within the front office, well, they got that, and they found out one of their free agent pitching targets is now going out to Southern California. The legacy for Syndergaard will always be what could have been. Good years. Popular on Twitter. A little bit of a wise-ass. Never lived up to being the guy I thought he was going to be for about a decade in this unit. Never got to that point. So, going to be fascinating, folks. I think we're going to have a lot of moving and shaking with the baseball. I really do. That means the Yankees, we've got a lot of work to do. Better get to work. Rojas, meeting the media. I mean, talk about something that just threw me for a loop. Louis Rojas and Aaron Boone now being on the same staff is just, it's an absolute mindfuck. But, Neither here nor there. Basketball tonight. I was all juiced up to watch the Warriors and the Nets because, listen, it's a marquee matchup. You got Steph, you got KD, you got James Harden, you got Draymond Green, blah, 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 blah. Both teams have played pretty good basketball. But on Tuesday night, it was pretty obvious. One team looked the part of a title contender. The other team did not. The Golden State Warriors completely blew the doors off the Nets. The big second quarter from Andrew Wiggins. Steph Curry up to his usual Steph Curry tricks. And when you get 31 points, 32 points, 35 points in three quarters of action, that's basically going to lead to Steve Nash taking Kevin Durant and taking James Harden and saying, you know what? Uh, We don't need to see you for the rest of the fourth quarter. I was thinking about my NBA futures. I love Golden State as an over. I'm looking like a genius on that. They're 12 and 2 to start the year. We're going to overlook the fact that Chicago right now is off to a roaring start, and that under looks dead to rights, but hey, it is what it is. Hopefully, we hit the Knicks and then we end up going two out of three. Brooklyn's 10 and 5. You're going to lose games like this throughout the regular season. Here's my concern with Brooklyn, and it's early, so you don't want to go insane monitoring this sort of trend. Nets have done a really good job of beating up the bad teams so far this season. Have you noticed that? When the Nets have played the top flight teams, they lost to Milwaukee. They lost to Miami. 
They lose to the Golden State Warriors. They lose to the Chicago Bulls. The teams that have the better records so far, about a month and change into this season, the Nets have struggled. They clearly missed not having Harris in this particular game. And then there's always going to be this, this looming specter and this looming factor hanging over the organization of can they win a title if Kyrie Irving is not going to be back on the court. And, you know, with each passing day, you have to operate if you're Marks, if you're Steve Nash, saying, hey, we can't assume we're getting this guy back. Even if we think we're getting him back, we got to assume he's not coming back until we see otherwise. That's a problem for Brooklyn. Because as good as a guy is, like Patty Mills has been, you're now putting him in that much more of a tougher spot. I don't know why Aldridge took three plus quarters to come into the game today. I mean, that to me made absolutely no sense. He played well for Brooklyn. Get him on the floor, for goodness sakes. That was one of my critiques to Nash in this particular game. I mean, listen, with the way the Warriors played, they were getting smoked no matter what. Let's be honest. The Warriors are locked in. They're moving the ball great. Curry's playing great. I, Curry's playing like he's got a little chip on his shoulder. And did anybody see the side-by-side screenshot? I don't know why I saw this on Twitter earlier today. Steph in 2015 and Steph now. I mean, it's night and day. He has completely transformed his body. He's jacked. He's absolutely jacked. He was built like a shrimp when they were winning 73 games. But he's put on more and more muscle. And you know what? I think it's helping him in the idea of trying to withstand playing, you know, an 82-game season. So, rough night for Brooklyn. If that's what you're going to get in the best of seven against the Warriors, well, it ain't going to be a pretty series. But, you know, cross that bridge when you get to it. Thankfully, this one counts as one, not as a best of seven come the month of June. But I'd sign right now. We get a Warrior Net NBA Finals. That'd be a lot of fun. Durant going up against his old team. Not that I want to see Brooklyn in the NBA Finals, but you get my drift. From a basketball standpoint, it'd be fun. Now, final thing I want to get to before we hit what is going to be a loaded rest of the show. Robert Sala has not done a particularly good job in his first year, right? I don't think anybody is like waxing poetic and singing the praises of a coaching staff that has seen a defense give up 45 points in back-to-back games. Like the Jet defense has been abominable. You want to tell me there are certain issues you have with Sala and his game plans and some of the things he's drawn up, like why Stephon Diggs getting cover one-on-one the entire game last week? I have no idea. But I'm going to have Robert Sala's back a little bit here. Rex Ryan has an accident. About Let's make something perfectly clear. Rex Ryan is still bitter about the fact that he's no longer coaching in the New York Jets. Since he's been in the media, and I, I think he's enjoyable in the media, quite frankly, because, listen, whether he likes what you have to say or not, he's got something to say. There are so many of these guys that do this for a living that are absolute stiffs that literally go up there and they offer absolutely no opinion. I don't need that. Even if you're going to be over the top, I, I appreciate it, Rex. I really do. But acknowledge this. Your opinions surrounding the Jets are taken to another level because you're bitter. You were right about Sam Darnold. Don't get me wrong, but you're bitter. So far, you're right about what you're seeing with the Jets. But when you start attacking Robert Sala and saying, my defense wouldn't have done this, my defense wouldn't have done that. Hold on a second. As good as your defense was in 2009 and 2010, and even in 2013, which had no players, the following year it stunk. When you wax poetic about how you develop the young quarterback, give me a break. By the end of Mark Sanchez's tenure, 
Mark Sanchez was completely lost, running into offensive linemen's derrieres, and then you're playing him in the fourth quarter of a meaningless preseason game against the Giants in the Snoopy Bowl. Spare me, refs. Spare me. I don't know if Robert Sala can coach. I really don't. He's had this job for nine games. The attack I heard on Monday felt personal. It felt vicious. That's why I love Robert Sala, who went on case show Monday and basically said, yeah, I do have a problem with it, and he knows where to find me. Now you got the brother chiming in, so, I mean, listen, that's, that's the world we live in here in 2021. Anytime you have one of these one-on-one feuds, everybody's family is involved. They're posting on Instagram. They're on Twitter. It's a disaster. So if I ever pick any fights, please keep my family off of social media. Please, uh, Saruti, Stefan, make sure you make a note of that. I do not want my family uh, uh, picking fights on my behalf. I don't need that. But my take on the whole storyline is that Rex has a vendetta against the Jets. And I think Rex, quite frankly, wants to coach that team in the absolute worst way. I know Benigo wants him to coach the team in the absolute worst way. It's not happening. It's not happening. So Rex, continue to be Rex. And we'll see if Robert Sala can coach. I'm not endorsing him as the coach now for the next five years, but let's give him a little bit more than nine games. Is that too much to ask? I don't know. Maybe it is. In this day and age, maybe it is. We got a fun show lined up. Johnny Damon. I want to have Johnny Damon on because Correa is out there. Verlander is out there. Yankees and the Astros, not a whole lot of love lost. The idea of going to a rival team like that, now, not to the extreme of Yankees and Red Sox. The Yankees and the Astros hate each other. Yankees, Red Sox, so 304 takes it to another level. So I wanted to get Damon's take on that. And listen, I love them. He's one of the rare dudes that Simmons and I can actually both like. Like, that doesn't happen much when it comes to baseball players. I think Johnny Damon would fit the category of being a favorite of Bill Simmons and being a favorite of mine. I loved him as a Yankee. thought he was fabulous. So he's going to join us. We got Fennessy who's going to join us. We'll have some fun at his expense because his teams just continue to be the gift that keeps on giving. We got trivia. We'll give you a play for Thursday night football. Uh, get your barf bag. That's going to be my advice. Get your barf bag for our Thursday night football play. All that more. Loaded New York, New York. Sean Fennessy up next. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. So there's a lot going on with this particular gentleman's teams at the moment. Noah Syndergaard's now going out to California. He's going out to Fantasyland. The New York Jets have Rex Ryan back in the picture. 
and everything is an absolute mess. So, Sean Fennessy, I thought it'd be perfect time to have you back on New York, New York. What's up, buddy? So generous of you, John. Thank you for calling me at my time of true pain. How, how you doing? Well, listen, I know that you can't always get some of these things out in the open when you're doing the big picture or the rewatchables and the 10,000 other jobs that you have. So, you know, I like to think that I'm taking care of my friend. I'm like a support group. I'm here for you. And I give you this little opportunity to let it rip, okay? I, I appreciate the free therapy. Um, I think, boy, things in Mets land feel really dark right now. I, I, There have been a lot of dark times in the last 20 years with the Mets. I this I really I'm baffled. I, I really didn't think that the Cohen era was going to go this way. And it's- I feel the exact same way because you think about it. Cohen came in as the conquering hero. He's got all this money. Say what you want about his Wall Street background. No Met fan gave a rat's you know what about that. It was we have our version of George Steinbrenner. We have our guy who's going to go and spend a ton of money. And I'm going to start with Syndergaard. I don't want to make Syndergaard out to be a top five pitcher in baseball. He's not. He's missed the last two years. Uh, There's always been this kind of what could have been. But when you offer someone the qualifying offer at $17 million a year, there obviously was some interest. Syndergaard made it clear that he wanted to be back. I mean, every indication he gave you, want to be a med, I love it here, blah, 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 blah. I wake up this morning, Fennessy, and I'm seeing him sign for $4 million more, basically, with the Angels. What gives there, bro? I, I literally don't get it. Um, obviously, I appreciate Noah Syndergaard saying he wanted to be a Met. I think everybody is, feels blindsided because he was so public about his desire to stay with the team. The team obviously backed him and supported him while he was recovering from Tommy John. You know, I think while he has never lived up to maybe necessarily the level of fame he has as a pitcher, you know, he's got a nickname, the flowing blonde locks, you know, the kind of part of that famed class of pitchers that they had circa 2015-16. He's still been a very good pitcher when healthy. And I think a lot of fans were just banking on him being a number two or three guy in the rotation next season. So this is, uh, this sucks. This is, I, I, I don't, and I, what it makes me worry about because it's such a small difference in money between the qualifying offer and what he ultimately took to go to Anaheim. It just makes me think that he doesn't feel good about what's going on with the franchise right now. Is that, is that too much of a stretch? To no, feel- I feel the exact same way. I think it's one of two things. It's either, the Mets weren't totally all in mm-hmm. on the idea of keeping him and, you know, that draft pick compensation and having that sort of attached, they kind of maybe knew, hey, guess what? There's going to be a team that takes a one-year flyer. Let's get the draft pick out of this. Or it is Syndergaard basically saying, you know what? I- I'm not in love with where things are at, and I want to go and pitch elsewhere. And I thought for one year, fantasy, he was perfect because he'd have something to prove. He'd have a full year removed now from the Tommy John surgery. Like, yeah, on the surface, is $17 or $21 million overpaid for Noah Syndergaard? Absolutely. But look look at the money that's being thrown around baseball. I mean, Andrew Heaney, who is an absolute stiff and got cut from my team, (laughs) got $9 million from the Dodgers. So if Heaney's getting nine, yeah, Syndergaard with his ability is going to say, to hell with that. I'm worth 17 or 20. And for one year, with Cohen's bankroll and the fact that your Mets They need starting pitching. I thought this was a slam dunk. And I don't love Syndergaard personally. I really don't. But for one year, he should have been back on this team. I mean, think about what their rotation is right now. Now, obviously, it's not going to stick. And obviously, Cohen is going to spend money to buy arms. But buying arms is complicated. And their rotation at the moment is Jacob deGrom, obviously my hero and a player that I'll love until the day that I die, but just had one of the most confusing injury-prone seasons in recent history. 
because I, I still don't totally understand what is wrong with him. And that makes me really concerned. Two, you've got, I guess, Carlos Carrasco, just given his track record, though he was abysmal last year, recovering from two different injuries, one of which was unreported. Three, you've got Taiwan Walker, who had a terrific first half, but also was clearly overworked and should not have been throwing 170 innings last year. Four, you've got David Peterson, a first-round draft pick, a guy who's flashed but also has not stayed healthy and has struggled at times. And five, Tyler McGill. That's a last-place team. Even if Jacob deGrom is healthy, that might be a last-place team. So that's, that's terrifying. Um, I, I, and again, like you see guys like Jose Barrios, who they did not pursue at the trade deadline, getting a big extension from the Blue Jays. That's a player I would love to have in the rotation right now. Mark, Marcus Stroman now has them over a barrel if they want to bring oh, he's him back. $25 million a year. It's going to be that his deal is going to be insane. And I think he's vastly overrated, but I kind of think you're, you're stuck with no choice. It's here, Robbie, right? You got to pay for somebody. I, I agree. I'm a, I'm a fan of Stroh. I thought, I think I thought Stroh was a great Met last year during a season in which like they really spiraled out of control in the final two months of the season. But he's not, he's not an ace, and he's barely a number two. That's no disrespect to him. He's a terrific pitcher. But in this day and age, he's a five-inning ground ball pitcher. And that's useful, but he's not dominant. And so I, they're in a really weird position just when it comes from the personnel of their team. I really don't know what that, that staff is going to look like because the, you know, are we going to throw $60, $80 million at Kevin Gaussman? Or are, are we really going to throw a ton of money at Robbie Ray, these guys who have had one incredible season in a contract year, which almost always goes sideways for the Mets when they sign those guys. I don't. I, I genuinely don't know what they're going to do. Take me through this. You're a smart guy. You've been through, you know, the business side of things. Now you're not running a baseball team, obviously. Uh, you're doing other stuff. You're doing quite well for yourself. Explain this to me. The Mets have all this money. It's New York freaking city. It's great place to be. It's it's the mecca, as they love to say. Why did nobody want this general manager job? I'm going to give you one or two options. Sure. Do you think it was far more the presence of the owner or was it far more the presence of Sandy Olmerson? I think it's possible that it's it's a, an even 50-50 split. Interesting. See, because, I thought you were going to give me far more the Sandy answer. So you do you think the ownership is there's something to be said for that. That's fascinating. The 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 Kumar Rocker tweet and the uh performance of the bats tweet. Those two tweets from Cohen last year, which were extremely out of the ordinary, and you really never seen anything like that from an owner before, where he was sort of insinuating something about the nature of draft pick compensation and what it means to have a draft pick on your payroll and what the ultimate value is of that. And then ultimately, basically, I don't know if he was necessarily calling the team to task, but kind of wondering out loud why the Mets sucked last year, why their bats were so weak and so con confounding. Basically something that you and I would be doing on Twitter. Basically. Yeah, which we, I mean, we might have even done on this show at some point uh, a few months ago. And while uh, it's kind of relatable in a way, I mean, Mets fandom is this, this agony, this, this dramatic theatrical ridiculousness. I participated in it all the time. But the fact that the owner is doing the same thing, I think is probably concerning to somebody who is, you know, we're not talking about hiring a 25-year-old kid to go shag balls. We're talking about hiring a 55-year-old man or woman to run the club, to run the whole organization. That's a huge responsibility. It's a grown-up's job. It's not a job in which you want your boss tweeting about you all day. So I think there's some trepidation there. The Sandy thing is a mystery because no one is being transparent about it. But Sandy is still basically running the business side of the organization. He clearly has a voice in the baseball decisions. And his son is an assistant general manager. And they also, the other thing that's a little bit underrated, I think, about the team is they have a long-standing collection of executives at the scouting and international level that are actually well-respected and have done good things. If you look at some of the talent that we like on the club right now, a lot of those guys came from people like Tommy Tannis, who've been overseeing that part of the business. So there's a lot of stuff in place. 
The idea of like a Theo Epstein coming in here, this pipe dream three, four months ago, was never going to happen because if Theo came in, he wasn't just going to be asking for a bite of the ball club. He was going to be asking to rebuild the whole franchise. And it doesn't seem like Cohen or Alderson have any appetite to let somebody come in and strip mine the whole business and start over. And that is what somebody who is going to have real influence is going to do. Hence, you end up with basically a retread in Billy Epler. I'm, I'm I, another hire that I'm like, man, this is just so underwhelming. I can't believe this is where they landed on this huge, important job for GM. It's a very tough sell. The one silver lining now is you talk to baseball people. Everybody seems to love Billy Epler. Now, he was miserable with the Angels. Why? Is it ownership? Is it his decisions? Like giving Matt Harvey uh, 12 or $13 million for a one-year contract? I wouldn't be in love with that. But, I mean, everyone that I follow who's like super tight to like the inner circles within baseball, they're telling me good hire, good hire, good hire. So, I guess fantasy take that for what it's worth. I hope but that's true. It was not what we dreamed of, I think, from a Mets perspective two and a half months ago. Not exactly one, two, or three on your list. J- JJ, let me ask you an important question for you. It, there's some theories that this hire is greasing the skids for Cashman in, in 2023. That because they have a relationship, because Epler was an assistant GM with the Yankees, did scouting there, that potentially... When his deal is up, he's coming over to, to the See, Mets. I can't see that from this standpoint. They just brought Boom back, who is his guy. They just gave him three years. If they rewarded Aaron Boone with that contract, fantasy, I kind of get the sense Brian Cashman has the Yankee job as long as he wants to have the Yankee job. So I'm not buying that conspiracy theory for a minute. If Boone had been let go and the Yankees brought in a different manager, I think I'd be on to that. Mm. With Boone coming back, it seems like the Yankees, they're, they're A-OK. Unless they're going to just say, tell Brian Cashman, we're not renewing your contract. I, I can't see this ownership doing that. I can't. What about the theory that's uh, percolating about keeping the powder dry for David Stearns to come in as president of baseball Well, I know he year. and Epler are buddy-buddy. Yep. That, that, to me, I think there's more legitimacy, quite frankly, to that as opposed to the other way around. But here's the other question. is Alders, If Alderson is going to be here, Stearns, Cashman, none of these guys are coming to the Mets. None of them are coming to the Mets. I mean, Sandy Alderson is a mid-70s, uh, I mean, he's a cancer survivor. He's a hugely accomplished person in the in the sport. I, I, does he need this job? Like, why no. is he holding this job? I, you know what my conspiracy theory is? I don't know if I've thrown this out to you. Maybe I have over a couple of drinks. I think the reason Sandy is here is because when Cohen was trying to buy the team, I think they basically told him, look, you could have the team, but you're bringing in somebody that we like know as a front office type. So that way you're not going to spend $400 billion when we're going into collective bargaining. Now, maybe that's a little bit off the beaten path, but fantasy, that's been a conspiracy theory for me with Sandy Olsen all along. That's, but that is what I want from Steve Cohen. Like, I, I, I need Steve Cohen. If, he, if it's going to be such a pain in the ass to deal with the machination, the inner machinations of the team, if he's going to be tweeting, if there's going to be all this anxiety about hiring a GM and a, and, a, and a president of baseball operations, I need you to just spend $400 million on your payroll. I, I need you to just buy talent and go Steinbrennery Stein in because otherwise it's going to be too much to deal with. If this is just like a $180 million ball club, they're finishing in third place every year. You know, the, 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 most of the free agent acquisitions are overpaid. The Lindor contract, we've talked about it. Like that now looks insane relative to what the market is going to be for a lot of the shortstops out there. So, they have to they have to overspend. That's clearly going to be the, their move here. Whether or not David Stearns and Billy Epler can hold the fort from a kind of structural and integrity standpoint, 
by the time Sandy is ready to move on? I don't know. I would obviously welcome David Stearns. He's obviously done an amazing job in Milwaukee with a much smaller payroll. I, it feels weird to be waiting two plus years to be getting to the Mets future I was promised two years ago. I can understand that. Um, not to pour more salt onto <laughs> the wound. Are you bummed out? Excuse me. You bummed out? You sad? Are you depressed over the fact that the Mike White experience and the Mike White story has now seen the clock strike midnight? No, I, I thought when you talked about it, you were right. Like th- this was a nice story. It was great that it, it it played out for a couple of days. That one Bengals game was was a genuinely a memory I'll cherish. That was a lot of fun. Not quite Linsanity, though. Fans. No, no. Well, Not I, quite Linsanity. Somebody asked me that on TV the other day. I'm like, no, no, no. Linsanity was like a month. This was this is basically one good game. It was one good game. I think I'd be fascinated to know if things worked out differently here. If he st- stayed in that Colts game, if he didn't injure his forearm, stayed in that game and played well, because he clearly was going to play well in that game and had a handle on it, had a little more confidence. And maybe they, you know, the thing is, as I'm watching the Bills game, obviously the Bills are a much better team than the Colts, and they're a better team than the Bengals, in my opinion. They have a really tenacious defense. The game plan was a little dodgy, I thought. It was very pass, 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 pass at the beginning of that game. And I wonder if they had leaned into Michael Carter a little bit more, pushed the run game, taken a little bit more pressure off of Mike White. I wonder if Mike White would not would be starting next week. Because the idea that he got himself in this hole and had a couple of bad breaks at the early part of the game could really see him forcing it in the second half of the game, which is frankly the same thing that we've seen from Zach Wilson. It was the same problem. And I'm, I'm just, I, the Mike White experience was fun. I never thought it was a long-term solution. If it did become the long-term solution, I would have been okay with that. Now I need to see Zach Wilson play. I totally get that. Um, are you at the point now where a whole lot of Jeff fans are questioning What's going on with this coaching staff? Because I'm there. And I know it's basically three quarters of the first year of Robert Sala coaching the team. So I, I, I hate jumping to these grand conclusions that early in the process. But you're giving up 45 points in back-to-back weeks. This is going to get lost sight in all the quarterback mumbo-jumbo. The defense has been an embarrassment. It has been an absolute embarrassment. Now, Rex Rex can't help himself. I mean, Rex couldn't wait. Rex is basically opening openly campaigning for the job. He's like, hey, <laughs> if I were coaching a team, my guys would fight. My defense would be this. My defense would be that. Rex, listen, you had two great years. I know the fan base loves you. You went to Buffalo and stunk. Your last couple of years with the Jets, you stunk. I don't, I don't need to hear from Rex Ryan, quite frankly. But the concerns about this coaching staff, dude, they're real and legitimate as far as I'm concerned. It's so hard to know because think about it this way. Marcus May and Carl Lawson are out for the year. Coming into the season, with the exception of maybe Quinn and Williams and C.J. Mosley, those are the most important guys on the defense. Especially Lawson. Especially Lawson. The whole whole design of the defense was pressure from the front four, attack the quarterback, give these young cornerbacks and safeties a chance to develop by essentially attack, attack, attack. We saw it a couple of times at the beginning of the season. In that Titans game in particular, they were tenacious. Once you take that away, once you lose Lawson, once, once Quinn and Williams takes what feels like a little bit of a step back the last three weeks, they, then the, this, this defense has no identity whatsoever. You know, they have a mediocre linebacking core. They have a very weak pair of safeties right now. They really have to address that in the offseason. They've got young cornerbacks who I think are promising. I think Eccles and Carter have been solid considering that they're fifth, sixth round draft picks. Bryce Hall is a keeper, but there is, this is the youngest team in the league. Nobody thought this defense was going to be good. The whole idea going into this next season was you've got two first-round draft picks. You're going to probably go defense-defense after going offense-offense last year. It's going to be a work in progress. Now, getting embarrassed and giving up 180 points over the course of four games, I never thought I'd see it. You know, the same way that 
The New York Mets historically have been a pitching franchise. The New York Jets historically have been a defense-first franchise. So this is new territory. Watching them get their doors blown off by Carson Wentz is embarrassing. That's like that's actually quite sad. I don't. Is it a reflection on Robert Sala? Should they be getting more 15-yard penalties by getting up in people's faces when they give up touchdowns? Maybe. I don't know. I, they just need more talent. This is like the most talent-deficient team in the sport for the last five years. There's no two well, ways about it. you're not wrong on that. And I like the process with Douglas. The trades, all of them on the surface look good, but you got to land players. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, Carter looks like he's going to be a player. That's a good sign. Elijah Moore looks like he's, he's going to be a great. player. Yeah. That's a good sign. But, like, we could talk about winning trades. You have to win trades, not only by winning the trade, you got to get good players, too. It's not just about accumulating picks and thinking, oh, everything's fixed. We have our solution to a winning franchise. You've got to nail these picks. You're absolutely right. You know, it, the same thing goes for free agents. Going back to that game last week and Mike White's confidence, Corey Davis fumbling the ball across midfield at the end of the first half. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Killer. Yeah, that's, Killer. How, 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 I mean, that's, it's, many people said this at the time and it was true. This is not a wide receiver one. You know, maybe Elijah Moore long-term is kind of a wide receiver one as like a gadget figure who's smaller and can move all around the field. But they, they don't have basically a 1A at really any position right now, with maybe the exception of Elijah Vera Tucker. He's the only guy who you look at and you're like, that guy's probably going to be an all-pro. He, he legitimately can dominate from his position. But it's a guard. That's the least sexy position in the whole sport. So they have, just, they have a long, long, long way to go. They missed on a lot of 2020 picks. It looks like they hit on a lot of 2021 picks. And then they've got, I think, five picks in the top 100 heading into 2022. So it's really going to rest on that. Can Douglas pick good players? And if he can't next year, he's going to be out. You have the solution for the third quarter woes for the New York Knickerbockers. I feel like maybe they got to like alter their halftime routine. Uh, it's not starting games. Uh, the second unit is a bunch of beasts. I, I thought they were absolutely losing that game. I said Sunday night, go win all three of these games this week. Indiana, Orlando, and then I think they play the Rockets. Like mm-hmm. Those are three games you got to win when you've gone through a little bit of a rut. They, these third quarters, though, fantasy, it's like, you know what it is? Rose and quickly. Right now, we're giving you a lot more than Walker and Fournier. That's really what it boils down to. I'd rather see those two guys at the end of these games in crunch time. Isn't this a repeat of last year, though? When we felt like Rose and Burks bit. would come on the court and you'd be like, oh, this is actually the team. This is the team. Bit, yeah. And it was easier to deal with that, right? Because we were taking basically Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock off the court. And they were like, okay, well, these guys are not really long-term solutions anyway. Rose really, I mean, Rose, is he becoming like a legitimate top 100 Nick right now? He's he's having an incredible run with this team. I love what he's doing. Isn't it so cool to see? Because the guy was an MVP. He busted his ass. He kind of is like hanging around the league for like five or six years. He's found his renaissance. And at the end of these games, dude, he's the guy I want with the ball in his hands. I'm like, all right, go make something happen. Okay, I, I know it sounds like we're living in 2011 all over again, but like, the dude's balling out. Let him play. I know. We made a devil's bargain. The team made a devil's bargain, right? Because obviously we watched that Hawks series. We were so dismayed by how they could not create any offense. They went out and signed two guys who are instant offense in many ways. And Kemba, obviously Kemba is past this prime. I'm not really like so down on the Kemba experience. It's not costing you a lot. I think they need to play him 20 minutes a game. I don't think he should be closing games. But Absolutely very, not. Very promising to see quickly closing that game uh, the other night because he is the future of the club in a lot of ways in that position. Um, the Fournier thing is tricky. He needs to play better and he's, he can't be a turnstile on defense. It's like on a Tibbs team to watch a guy play defense like that is really disheartening. And also you mentioned this the other day, Randall is, is not the guy from last year. And I think it might've been unreasonable to expect that he was going to be able to replicate one of the all time, most improved seasons in NBA history. 
Sean Fennessy, don't be a stranger. We always have this outlet for you. And uh, are we in on House of Gucci? Is that something that we should make, like, must-see, must-watch uh, type uh, of a priority for yours truly? Or kind of, eh, cast it aside. Here's my take, JJ. Is it a meticulously crafted, awards-worthy, elegant tale about the nature of design, fashion, and capitalism in the 20th century? No. Is it a lot of fucking fun in which everybody's doing a bad Italian accent? 100%. So I'm in. It's, it's a high in. recommendation. Fun and bad Italian accents. <laughs> that's right up my alley. So what it, is there a front runner though for best picture right now? I think it's Belfast, which is Kenneth Branagh's movie about growing up in Northern Ireland, which might sound like a little bit of a snooze. It's a very nice movie, black and white movie. But that being the front runner is a little bit of a sign of the problem with the Oscars right now. The front runner should mm. the front runner should probably be Dune, if I'm being honest. Then the Oscars well, want people and, to and tune in. And this is why come award season, we're gonna have you back on the pod. So you're gonna help me make some money in betting some of these awards, which I always love to do. And I did bet on like cousin Sal, I bet on La La Land to win Best Picture. Uh, probably an all time bad beat. Big, big, big loser. Uh I, I have had success with my with my Oscars. I gambling. like that. Well, don't mush it. Don't okay. mush it. I okay. want that all confidence right. from you in January. All right, Sean Fantasy. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, JJ. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Always good hearing from Sean Fennessy. And listen. We try to be a service any which way we can. I know he's got 10 billion outlets. You know, he's one of the head honchos here at the ringer, but he's a long suffering Met, Jet, and Nick fan. And when it comes to his Mets and his Jets, like, I feel like he needs like sit downs every now and again just to, you know, make sure everything's okay. They're like well visits. So that was a uh, very enjoyable well visit from Sean Fantasy. All right, voicemail time. 917-382-1151. That's where we make magic. And get the calls in for Thursday in the evening. We'll be rocking after Thursday Night Football. And then a reminder, Monday, Monday Night Football, before the game, come hang, catch in Astoria. Great bar. I've been there a bunch. I'm going to be making a mess, having barbecue sauce all over my face because their wings are absolutely outstanding. But we're going to have a little fun before Giants and Buccaneers. And I'm going to be betting Giants and Buccaneers. I think that's going to end up being a super contest play. So come down, come hang. We'll have a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Hackensack Brewery for Beningo was uh, interesting. I had a terrific, terrific time making my way out there. It was interesting. I'll leave it at that. All right, voicemail time. Let's hear it. Hey, JJ. This is uh, Jeremy from Long Island. Just heard the news about Noah Syndergaard. Uh, and as a Mets fan, I am pretty scared for this year. We really don't have a rotation. We got DeGrom. Well, who knows what's going on with his arm? No one could figure it out last the second half of last year. And he's our best player. Tyron Walker, who I just don't trust. I feel like he had a total outlier the first uh, half of last year. Tyler McGill, who, you know, I think he's a solid four or five guy in a rotation, but he's not a third starter or a second starter, which is what it looks like. But David Peterson, who's like not that good either. Uh, and we just, just got a GM, hopefully. I don't even know if that's official yet. Uh, really not happy with the Mets this offseason so far. We had to do a lot of things. We totally collapsed last year. And the bottom line is, I think a lot of people in this fan base think that we are kind of the team that we saw in the first half, the team that was going to win the division or whatever. But the bottom line is, we lost 85 games last year. We have a, a core of offensive talent that's 
stinks and we really need to improve that. Plus, we need to totally revamp our starting pitching, as I just laid out. And in the meantime, Sandy Alderson couldn't get anyone to come on board. Steve Cohen, people don't want to work for him. This is, does not look good for next year. I'm still going to watch, obviously, but I'm very scared on how our team looks next year. And I'm not excited about snow coming back. I'm not excited about not having any real starters. And just, it's been real disappointing how Cohen's ownership has started. I mean, last year was a disappointment, and so far this offseason has been a disaster. So we have a lot more time to go. Hopefully they can make some good deals, but uh, not so excited right now. Listen, I'm going to reserve judgment on what the team looks like until this offseason finishes up. So, like, I I don't want to roast the Mets for what you're going to see this offseason because I have no idea what they're going to do. I thought Syndergaard was a good fit, though, because they need pitching depth. They know him well. He wasn't looking for a long-term commitment. They clearly have money to spend. And now you look at the rest of the free agent pitching market, this puts more pressure on you to go and sign Marcus Stroman. Like, it's a must now. Stroman has to be back on this team. The only way he's not back on this team is if they go and sign Robbie Ray. I don't think Scherzer's coming to the East Coast. I don't get the sense Verlander ends up pitching for the Mets. I think if Verlander's coming to New York, it's far more likely he is a Yankee than a Met. Just my personal sense. Could be wrong on that. That's just my personal sense. If Verlander comes to New York, I think he ends up a Yankee. So then what? Are you going to go, like Fantasy was talking about it a couple minutes ago, you're going to go overpay for a guy like Kevin Gossman, who was really good for the Giants last season. You feel good about giving him four or five years at considerable money. I mean, Andrew Heaney got $8 million a year. Kevin Gaussman's getting $17, $18, $19 million. He might get more. It's crazy to say he might get more. I thought qualifying offer $17 million made sense for Syndergaard. I'm surprised he got 21. And I'm surprised he's not a man. And I think it's a blow for the team. Despite Syndergaard underachieving the last few years, which is fair, yes, there's that what if that's out there? All true. I think he would have been a major help. I really do. So we'll see if he goes down the road to Matt Harvey or he's a major factor within that rotation out west. Who's next? Yo, what's up, JJ? Pete and Westchester here, bro. Hope you're having a good week. So just, uh, you know, obviously just seeing the news here about Syndergaard going out to the Angels. I think it's a year deal, $21 million. You know, first of all, you know, the Mets, what are, I don't know why they're letting them walk, but they're a disaster. But I'm really surprised the Yankees didn't make a play here. I mean, you know, maybe they did. Obviously, we, we probably won't know that. But, I mean, this is a guy I would have loved to have seen Cashman take a swing on. You know, he loves taking these chances, you know, on these, uh, you know, these high upside guys, you know, low investment, high upside. I guess, I guess you could argue 21 million is not a low investment. But, you know, after we're going after the Klubers and the tie-ons of the world, I mean, Syndergaard's a guy who you really thought, like, you know, this would be perfectly right up Cashman's wheelhouse to take a chance on. Um, you know, I guess just want to get your thoughts. I'm sure you're going to comment it on the pod, but I haven't really heard you talk much about Syndergaard, probably because he's been hurt. So just curious for your take on him. What do you think? And, um, you know, why did the Yankees not pursue this? Thanks, bro. I never got the sense the Yankees would go and get Syndergaard because of two particular factors. One, I think they know plenty about him. His presence on social media. Syndergaard's a little out there. I never really got the sense and the feel that he'd be a fit in their clubhouse. That's just my two cents. Number two, I think the Yankees are going for one of those high-risk, high-reward, one-year contracts. It's Verlander. 
You've already heard the rumblings. Hassan has kind of thrown it out there. Remember, Verlander's wife, supermodel. You think Kate Upton would love to live in New York City? I, I sure do. She's buddy-buddy with Cole's wife. And that's another thing. Cole's there. So they have the idea of reuniting the two Houston pitchers with the New York Yankees. The Yankee rotation is in better shape than the Met rotation outside of the ground. It's in better shape because they have more reliable arms you can count on. Montgomery, Cortez, who was terrific last year. Severino, who's all the way back. And I think he's going to be a big factor next season. Tyon, whenever he comes back. Herman is still there. And Luis Hill, who the Yankees think very highly of. The Yankee priority is far more the restructure of the lineup. But if they're in on a pitcher, I think Verlander is their guy. And my sense is Verlander is going to be Yankees. I have a weird feeling about that. I'm going to be very happy about it. Very, very happy about it. As long as they're not giving Verlander like some four or five-year contract, we're cool. All right, who's next? JJ, what's going on, brother? I've been watching the high tail, man. It's been a while. Haven't reached out. There's been just, I don't know. Giants, not much to talk about. Just been dreadful for the most part. Knicks, trying to figure out what the hell we got going on. What's, what's this team really going to be? Actually, Knicks, man. We need to get together and watch a game together over there at the Garden. And the Mets, you know, just just waiting to see what the hell is going to happen. With free agency, with, with this GM search, president search, whatever the hell they're doing. And the GM search has just been a clown show. It's been a clown show. Nobody wants to come. Like always, Mets being Mets. I know it's new ownership. It's supposed to be this whole new outlook. I don't see any reason why I should have a new outlook. GM search, it looks like they're settling for whatever's out there now because they couldn't get what they wanted. Or who knows what the hell they wanted. This Syndergaard thing. And listen, I'm not so mad about Syndergaard going because I'm not the hugest Syndergaard fan. But we do need pitching. And it just seems like it's the Mets always behind, other teams always ahead. Uh, you know, more penny pinching. All I hear is about draft picks and compensation. Or oh, well, they won't go after these guys because if they sign this guy, then they're going to lose a draft pick. And they would, and this guy's like, what the fuck are we doing, man? I thought this billionaire owner, we weren't supposed to be hearing shit like that. Why? Tell me why I should feel like this is going to be any different than what it's been for the last whatever years. This is ridiculous. I, I Honestly, I've done had it with this team. I'm usually in the wintertime, can't wait for baseball. Now, man, I have I don't look forward to this team at all. I really don't. I like I, I totally hate this team right now. I really do. Always great hearing from the great Hector in Washington Heights. And Hector hit on the biggest concern about Syndergaard now going to the Angels. The Mets need pitching. Syndergaard didn't pitch the last few years. But there was this hope, even you heard it last year. Oh, well, when Syndergaard gets back, he's going to be a front-end, top-end starting pitcher. I would have heard that same chatter if he came back and put him at uniform on. I was talking about it a week ago when they gave him the qualifying offer at $17 million a year. I don't think this is the Mets penny pitching, though. I really don't. I don't think the Mets wanted him back beyond the qualifying offer. I really don't. I think they wanted him back to a point. I think they attached that draft pick compensation for a reason. I don't think they were gung-ho to re-sign Noah. And the minute you had a team that was willing to bite, that was willing to go and offer him $21 million a year, that was enough. Now, all this in saying we never had a chance to match, that 
leaves it open to interpretation. Well, would you have matched? I don't know. We'll never know. I would have liked this rotation a lot more if the promise and the prospect of Syndergaard was there. Because again, I don't worry about the Mets and their money. I don't. They're not the Kansas City Royals. They're not the Oakland A's. They're a team that should be able to spend a crap ton of money this offseason. And now, they got a lot of work to do in addressing this rotation. And oh, by the way, they got to figure out if they're re-signing Javi Baez or they're going in a different direction like Chris Bryant. At least they have a GM now. Now, hopefully they'll have a manager within the next couple of days. And I haven't been in love with their GM search. Yes, I agree with you, Hector. They seem to be settling. Even though Epler's well-respected, even though he could do well, he clearly was not their first, their second, and their third choice. Let's call it what it is. But I feel so much better about it if they go and hire Buck Showalter a week from now. So, so much better about it. All right. Our football pick's been a disappointment this year. You know what has not been? Our Trivia Tuesday performance has been, I'll say it, exemplary. It's been top-notch. Even the great Larry in Florida has struggled in trying to shut me down. Now, I might be putting the old announcer's jinx on yours truly, but now it's time once again, Trivia Tuesday. Let's hear it. JJ, Larry in Florida, I got two for you tonight. Most wins by a quarterback in FBS history. Who is it? Second one is, what? who is the only player in NFL history to win the Super Bowl three years in a row? I'm out. See, Larry ain't messing around tonight. Larry ain't messing around tonight. He gave me two, I think, impossible, impossible, impossible trivia questions to the point that I don't feel very good about either of the answers I'm going to throw you away. I'm going to try. I'm going to attempt. That's coming up next. Okay, Larry, we're going to take a stab at these. Most wins by a quarterback in FBS history. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. My goodness. My goodness. So Rudy gave me the hint it is a well-known FBS player. Well-known FBS quarterback. Hmm. I am going to throw out as our first guess. Most wins, FBS history. Holy moly. It's got to be a guy who played five years, right? It's got to be. It's got to be. Is it Steve Young? Mm. Not good. All right. To save everybody in their sanity, because I really have no idea where I'm going with this. Saruti, would you say this particular quarterback had a very successful NFL career? No. Um, mostly a backup. Um, but he is uh, an up-and-coming coach right now. 
in the NFL. Oh, I think I know it. I think I know it. <laughs> I, you gave me a very, very good hint, my friend. Would the answer be Kellen Moore? There we go. Now, listen, Saruti's got to take a major, major assist for that question because I would have been throwing out quarterbacks till the cows come home. I mean, I was going to throw Roethlisberger out there. Larry, I acknowledge that that question was brutal, my friend. Absolutely brutal. Now, your second question. The only player in NFL history to win three straight Super Bowls. I have a decent idea on this one. I'm not positive on this one, but I'm going to take a roll of the dice and I'm going to go for it. Is it Hall of Famer Charles Haley? Wow. And I actually was pretty confident in that answer, too. Very, very confident in that answer. Because, you know, he ended up flip-flopping with the Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. So you're on the right path. You have the right two teams in the right time frame. It's oh, I not, think I know it then. Haley. I think I know it. Is it Ken Norton Jr.? There we go. Second guess. I knew it wasn't Dion because Dion went from the Niners. He went from Atlanta to the Niners to the Cowboys. So he didn't win three straight Super Bowls. My first guess was Haley. I was a little off there. Ken Norton Jr., though. Larry, listen, give you credit. Give you a ton of credit. Those were two very, very difficult questions. And... The second one, I handled myself pretty well. The first one, I would have had absolutely no chance. So I needed the phone a friend. All right, who's up? We got another one. Hey, JJ, Sean Long Island. Thanks for taking the call, man. I called for some uh, Q&A with JJ. I called with this question last week, but I uh, got to admit, Larry's Florida had a much better question. I'll, I'll kiss the rings on that one. But uh, hopefully it gets through this time. Talking about Syracuse Orange football players drafted in our lifetime. Um, so in 1999, Donovan McNabb went number two overall, obviously, in the first round. McNabb went in the first round number two overall. JJ, since that happened, five Syracuse players have been drafted in the first round. I want to see if you can give me all five of those players. Since McNabb went number two overall, what five players are drafted in the first round by NFL teams? And a quick in, two of these players were drafted locally. Good luck, my man. Take care. Excellent question. Excellent question. Well, I know answer number one was a guest on New York, New York. That would be Justin Pugh. Justin Pugh by the New York Giants is number one. Number two, Chandler Jones, who should have been drafted by the New York Jets, but ended up getting drafted by the New England Patriots. All right. Two down, three to go. First round, Syracuse players. First round Syracuse players. Drafted. Those were the two most recent ones, just to give you a hint. Those were the two most recent, correct? Correct. Yep. That's what the, I thought. The, the remaining three were all before that. The remaining three were all before that. See. All right. I think I'm I, I think I know one, although he might have came into the league before McNabb, so I apologize if I got that wrong. Dwight Freeney. Three down, two that, to go. That, the other two, the final two, were before Dwight Freeney. Oh, in fact, boy. Oh, in fact, boy. Dwight Freeney was drafted in 2002. The other two were the previous two years. Makes sense, considering how pathetic Syracuse has been at football. You know, yep. not a first-round picks recently have been few and far between. 
Um, these are by far the two hardest ones. All right, so I got the easy ones is what you're telling me. Great. I got yeah. the easy ones. Okay. Okay. I'm not positive on this guy, but I'm throwing him out there anyway because he's a cute player that's near and dear to my heart. Rob Conrad of the Miami Dolphins. Was he a first-round pick? He's mm. not. I mean, he ended up being a fullback, but I know he had a distinguished college career, so I wanted to throw him out there. Saruti, two defensive, two offensive players or split half-half? Two defensive players. One linebacker, one defensive back. Oh, I know. I got the linebacker. Keith Bullock. He was 2000. That's the early one. So this, the, next, the only one left was drafted in 2001. Uh, and he was drafted by the Giants. Oh, man. 2001. Drafted by the Giants. Oh, I'm going to be annoyed if I don't get this. I'm going to be Definitely the least known of, the, of, of all five. <laughs> the, yeah, but he's a local player. I should know him. I should know him. Oh, man. What position, Rudy? He played defensive back. That doesn't help. Oh, my goodness. Was it Will Allen? Let's go! Wow. Well, I remember the Giants drafted Will Allen and Peterson. They were their corners for a while. Um, I forgot that Will Allen was a Q's guy. Because remember, he was there well before I got to school. So, like, I always knew the football team very well, you know, the, 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 I mean, the basketball team very well. The football team, I knew the stars. I'm not going to remember the top corner back in 2002. Like, the Yankees at that time in my life, I remembered everything. Dolphins, I remembered everything. Knicks, I remembered everything. Syracuse, I was really just, like, immersing myself in the basketball at that stage of my life. So, excellent question, Sean, but I'm just too hot, guys. I'm just... Well, settle down. I mean, you know... <laughs> You got what? You got three of the of Sean's without without a hint. Larry puts you in your place. It was uh, you know he you got humble a little. Bit. It was a little humbling, but the confidence is still there. That's yeah, you're the okay. thing. I'm still pulling answers out, even with a little guidance. We're still finding a way. All right, I'm excited to welcome this guy in. He's one of my favorite Yankees. He played with a ton of heart. He was a badass. He was clutch, and the Yankees could use a couple of guys like this particular player in their lineup right about now. Johnny Damon from the 2009 team. And yeah, we're forgetting about that other team he won for. I don't, uh, that's kind of escaping my memory right about now, but he's up next. So I'm fired up to welcome into New York, New York, a guy who knows a thing or two about winning with the Yankees, but also knows a thing or two about breaking the hearts of Yankee fans. He was a part of the 04 Red Sox. He's a part of the 09 Yankees. My dude, the great Johnny Damon. What's happening, Johnny? Oh, not much. Everything's going fantastic. You know, uh, getting ready to launch our A-game um, clean sports drink real soon. And uh, we're very excited. And uh, everyone talks about bringing their A-game. And I know you're going to bring your A-game right now. Well, I wish I could bring the A-game on the golf course. I see you out there all the time. Yes, be honest, bro. You're smoking the ball right now. Down in Florida, you're playing all the time. It's not freezing like it is in New York. Is the Johnny Damon golf game a game right about now or not? I am definitely bringing my A game. My drives, I figured it out. I just have to swing harder. Swing under control, but swing harder. And I've, over the past week, you know, I played with the uh, Baratech brothers and I figured something out with them and I'm driving the ball 30 yards further and 
I'm going to go out tomorrow and uh, play some more before I, you know, head down to Miami and play in this uh, celebrity soccer uh, event. So you go from the golf course to celebrity soccer. I mean, that's the life of Johnny Damon in a nutshell. And by the way, I'm surprised you're still on good terms with the Veritech brothers after you left the Red Sox to go play, play for the Yankees like that. You're still cool with the Veritex. That's 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 heated conversation right there, bro. Well, the cool thing about the 04 Red Sox, we had five guys from Central Florida. Um, Veritech, myself, Mark Bellhorn, Tim Wakefield and Curtis Laskonic. Um uh, we're all from this area, and of course, the Veritech brothers are still with me. I mean, we uh, went to many battles. We still love each other, and you know, I I still pull for Jason. You know, he's uh, he was very instrumental. He's captain of the Red Sox. Said I, I love the guy. You think he has the makings to be a big league manager someday? Oh. There's no doubt in the world. I mean, this guy is so prepared. You should see. Catchers are always managers, right, yeah. Johnny? Isn't that yes. a thing? Like, I feel like catchers end up becoming good managers all the time. Yeah, you just have to see if he wants to, because I know the game has changed a lot. Um, I know sabermetrics and the uh, uh, stats come into play. I feel like the player's heart really doesn't come into play too much or uh, – right now so it just depends on who wants to go do it who wants to deal with the chaos that goes with it i was thinking of you the other day because there's a lot of chatter about carlos correa and the astros and the yankees over the last few years maybe not quite you guys in the yankees in 2003 2004 not the same sort of history but make no mistake yankees can't stand the astros astros can't stand the yankees You got the cheating scandal that went on, but Correa is a free agent. And my thought is, Johnny Damon, he wants to be a Yankee. Let's freaking go. Because I think of you, I think of Roger Clemens, I think of Wade Boggs. And I'm like, if those guys can go and become Yankees, why not Carlos Correa? Yeah, I mean, he is such a talent. And I'm sure he has a lot of respect. Well, he should. Everybody should have respect respect for the pinstripes and uh when you have that opportunity to put the pinstripes on you do it because they're they are the uh um they're the great franchise and Correa is a great choice such a talent um and I know Seager's name has been popping up and I just love that swing of his and I met this kid when he was 18 years old in uh Wilmington Delaware when I was having my number retired there. And Mike Sweeney told me this kid's going to be uh, one of the best hitters in the game. And he was right. A couple of years later, he's in the big leagues. Uh, beautiful swing and just a great kid as well. Talk me through. You leave the Red Sox. 2004, you have this iconic moment for the Red Sox against the Yankees. Grand slam against Vasquez. Then you hit another home run that still has to land in the upper deck. And I'm so, I'm trying to block those memories out of my mind, Johnny. As you can see, I got all the Yankee paraphernalia. So that's like that's like a day we don't talk about on this podcast. Check that uh, out back there, the double still. Well, that's what I was going to say. You're near and dear to my heart after 2005 and beyond, bro. Then you're one of my dudes. But like, 2004, you were on my shit list. Let's put yeah. it that way. 
You come to the Yankees, though, and, and you're this dude with long hair and you got the beard. You're the you're the king of the idiots, dude. How were you able to fit so seamlessly from the Red Sox and what they had going? It felt like, dude, you fit in with the Yankees right away. It took no time. You hit bombs. You're getting big hits. How were you able to do that? It was very tough. The decision to sign with the Yankees, I mean, I'm glad that I did it, but I really thought I was going back to the Red Sox and there was just little or no conversation during the offseason. And I couldn't let this opportunity go by because if I let the Yankees opportunity go by, the Red Sox are the only team that really need me. And that spells a one-year contract. And um, I couldn't leave all that on the table. It was a tough move, but a move that I am so happy that it happened. Six more weeks at home for spring training. You know, I just uh, got on I-4, cruised down to Tampa, and it was great. You know, I felt like I had, um, you know, I don't know. It, it was it was a moment that if I could go back, I would pump it a little more because, you know, I, I've always been a very laid back type of guy, um, understood the business side of the game, never want to like throw jabs at the Red Sox or anything. But, you know, looking back, I'm kind of going, man, I should have like, enjoyed it more. I probably should have had a mohawk when I um, – came to the Yankees, but I, I mean, you, um, the boss was paying me if I have to shave and if I have to cut this hair that I know you don't like. Well, I know it's great now. I mean, listen, it yeah, was, so what, what bothered you, you more? Was it shaving the beard or cutting the hair? Uh, nothing really bothered me. I was ready to cut my hair. You were um, ready for it. Okay. So there yeah. was no, there was no like hesitation of man, these locks. I mean, listen, you got locks like that. I'd let them rip too. <laughs> and the beard is fabulous. Like Johnny. Now I'm actually at a point, believe it or not with the Yankees where I kind of want guys to grow facial hair. Like well, I think it's to the point where it's like, you know what, dude, get over stuff that was, you know, outdated from 30, 40, 50 years ago. Guy wants to grow a beard like yours looks good. Let it rip, man. Why the hell not? Yeah, it's uh, 2021, but you still have to respect the uh, pinstripes and you have to pay attention to who uh, who's paying you. I mean, if you don't want to get paid by the Yankees, then if you don't well, want to shave, you got a point there. Go you could have si signed elsewhere. You yeah, could have signed elsewhere. Was absolutely. it for you, though, like walking into that clubhouse? Jeter's there. Mariano's there. Uh, A-Rod is there. Like, was Easy. there an intimidate? It was not. There was no. no intimidation whatsoever. Interesting. No, I okay. always respected the way the Yankees carry themselves on and off the field, the way they hustle down the um, first baseline when they hit a ground ball to the second baseman. I was like, man, they're my type of team. We didn't quite do that so much in the with the Red Sox. Most of us, yes. But uh, you did see moments you're like, man, this guy would have just ran. We could have extended the inning. So – I respected the way the Yankees played the game, and I'm glad made the move. And I know I was the third of the Red Sox who won the World Series to go to the Yankees. I knew I had some teammates <laughs> that were going to be there, like the Mark Bellhorns and um, Mike Myers. But I, I know those were a little short-lived. But, I mean, being able to play for two great franchises um, at the right time, I mean, break the curse. And as of now, 
winning the last World Series for the uh, Yankees. I mean, it's been 2009 since they've even gone. And, you know, it's not that easy to, you know, replace a Matsui, a Damon, guys who can hit left-handers and you never have to change your lineup. You know, every day you know what your lineup's going to be. And after we left, the lineup just keeps moving. And it's tough on players, even though they say, oh, it's no big deal. It's really tough when there's a different lineup every single day. Did you have a preference leading off for batting second or it didn't? Because you you let off a ton throughout your career. Kansas City, Oakland, the Red Sox. Then you came to the Yankees, and they kind of flipped the order in 09, dude, because 09, there was some magic about putting Jeter 1, Damon 2. So was that an adjustment for you, or you knew you were hitting second? You knew you had studs behind you just able to let it rip? Well, you know, I had a conversation with Kevin Long and uh, Joe Girardi when Derek went off to the World Baseball Classic, and I told him, like, Derek gets on base a little bit more than I do. I battle. Like if I have to take pitches, I'll take two strikes and then I, I'll battle. And I was like, Derek hits into 30 double plays a year. So why don't he lead off? If he swings at the first pitch, guess what? We're still going to extend this inning. And I hit into maybe three double plays a year. And I was like, we get to extend 25 to 30 plus innings a year so we had this conversation so you suggest hold on a second now i never knew this so you suggested to the yankees oh yeah flip-flop us let me hit two yeah because if wow i never knew that because if he's on base i'm standing on top of the plate and i'm hoping somebody tries to pitch me in i've got the short porch and i know how to pull the ball with the best of them so i'm like if jader's on base (laughs) let's go you know and we did exactly that. And then all of our lefties in our lineup, um, myself, Matsui, and Kano, we hit lefties very well. And then we had four switch hitters with Tex, Posada, Milky, and Swisher. I mean, that's a tough lineup to go through. Um, bullpens and other coaches and other teams just had a really tough time trying to say, okay, do we bring the lefty in for Damon? He hits lefties at a better clip than righties. Matt Suey as well. So, yeah, I, I suggested it. And, I mean, I'm glad they listened. And I was going to say, I think it was a pretty good suggestion. <laughs> I think it worked out pretty well. And, you know, Johnny, that 2009 team for Yankee fans, and listen, it's not like the Yankees have been a bad franchise the last decade plus, right. but they haven't gotten to the top of the mountain and right. if you don't have that 09 title, let's be honest, you're looking at like 20 plus years. Which That's is amazing. Eternity. That's Absolutely an eternity amazing. in Yankee land without having a title. So your team, which was loaded, your team that had a lot of pressure on you because you signed Sabathia, you went and got to Shara and Burnett, and you yeah. came in and A-Rod came in. You guys almost had to win that World Series in 2009. And yes. now you look at it and it's like, yeah, that team was loaded. Yeah, we were loaded, and I just wish we could have just kept going because we had uh, we had a great mix of guys. So and, you wanted to come back. You wanted to oh, be back with the Yankees. They oh, should have brought you back. One hundred percent. They should have yeah, brought you back. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And the offer Cashman gave was a two-year, fourteen million, nothing to scoff about. But I only had a couple minutes to decide about it from what my agent told me, and I'm like, well. This is almost a 50% pay cut. And I just went off in 2009. I was like, can we 
work it out at maybe 10 a year. I'll take a $3 million pay cut. And my agent's like, it's almost off the table. I'm going, whoa, like, when did this happen? And, and, you know, it's unfortunate because I really love playing for the Yankees. And, you know, you know, unfortunately, you know, this stuff happens, the business side of the game and a lot of stuff that you don't see, but you wish you could control. Cause I even told Cashman, my agent's going to, try to get a four or five year deal. I was like, I, I only want two max and I'll figure out if I want to keep playing after these two years. And, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out and didn't work out for the Yankees yet either. <laughs> I feel that pain. I do. All right. I'm putting you on the spot. All right. You're part of two championship teams. They're two iconic teams for very different reasons in two different cities. Who wins in a seven game series? The old four Red Sox? Or the 2009 Yankees? I, I've got to think the uh, 09 Yankees. I just I like that, that answer. Yeah, I, like I, that I just answer. think the offense is too tough, regardless if uh, Pedro, Derek Lowe, or um, Schilling were pitching. I just think that offense we had in 09, you just couldn't pitch around anybody. I mean, you had your number eight and nine guys. Swisher hit 25 plus homers. Milky was just sensational. Just a spark plug at the bottom half of the lineup. Turned over the lineup quite a bit. Um, and plus our pitching in 09. I mean, when you got CC Burnett and uh, Pettit, that's really tough to beat. Yes, Pedro, Schilling. Yeah, I, I think the 09 Yankee team wins. Okay. Sorry, Wait. Red Sox fans, but hey, that's uh, all right. Listen, that, my bosses like, are going to be happy about it because Simmons listens rules your 2014. But you're on New York, yeah. New York. You're not on yeah. his podcast, so you gave me you gave me the right answer, and you spoke from yeah. the heart. So I, that, I respect that. That I mean, that 09 uh, lineup could be one of the best ever. I mean, just and think about that infield, Johnny, A Rod, Jeter, Cano, and Teixeira. I mean, yeah. damn, dude. And then you got you out in the outfield, you got Melky, and you got Swish. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we we were the uh, – Melky um, helped us out quite a bit. because He had a lot of big hits that year, part. dude. He had and, a lot of big hits. Yeah, and, and I did cover the ground and left field good. I know how to cut the corners. Uh, Swisher was a much better defender than what he uh, – uh, what you thought you were going to get. And, uh, I mean, he had to pitch opening day for us. So. <laughs> Did you have a problem when they moved you out of center field? Because no. obviously you were a center fielder your whole life. You played the corner. You kind of looked at it where it's like, all right, I'll start in center, but I'm getting up there in age, so I'm okay moving positions. Well, um, yeah, I, that stuff happens. And it was really tough for me to get adjusted to playing center field in New York because the time that I needed to go shag, that's where Mariano was getting his running in. So I was like – I can't tell Mariano to move as much as I would like to. I can't do it. So I was like, and the, yeah, so I struggled a little bit, but, uh, you know, it happens. You start aging a little bit and, uh, but left field was a great call, uh, for us. I'm just glad they didn't ship me off somewhere else to go play center field. I'm glad I was able to, um, stay with the Yankees and, uh, start playing a, better left field because uh, my center field skills were starting to decline. Um, 
probably from that concussion in 2003, you know. You that start- was scary, Johnny. You yeah. know, you think about one of the scariest moments I ever remember watching a baseball game. You and I believe it was Damian Jackson, yeah. right? In yeah. Oakland, full speed, banging. And, dude, you were back in the lineup in, like, game one or game two, the next series yeah. against the Yankees. Yeah, and, and after that, I mean, the head was scrambled for so long. It's like always had a headache, always just – I couldn't, couldn't do much. And, you know, it probably took a good seven years for me to start feeling better. And I started playing better outfield again uh, when I went to Tampa Bay. You know, the, the more that I was out there, the better I was. And it's tough when you start the end of your career, when you start being thrown out there like a couple of times a week. It's really tough to adjust and it should be easy, but it's not. Talk me through. You had a lot of iconic moments with the Yankees. I'm, I'm blanking on those two with the Red Sox. Forget about those. <laughs> I don't I don't want to talk about those. Simmons can ask you those questions. Yeah. You had that great game against the Royals where I think you went five for five and six for six and walked it off with a hit. Six for um, six. Yeah. Six for six. There you go. <laughs> I remember it. I wasn't sure if it was five or six, but it was a monster game. You had 20-plus home run seasons. You had a lot of big hits. But I think the memory, and you pointed it out, it's right behind you, that Yankee fans are going to remember the most with Johnny Damon is the heads-up base running in Game 4 of the World Series. So talk me through. what Because I remember watching that. You steal second. I'm like, awesome. And I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Where is he going? <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness, he's a genius. This is brilliant. So – what do you remember about that play and taking the extra base? Well, I think that play everyone thought amazing. And then they also thought this guy is absolutely out of his freaking mind. Yes. Um, no, I was one of those people. Yeah. Full disclosure. Yeah. I was yeah. But guys. I was thinking about doing it all year long because I saw the shift that was on Tex. And the thing is, Tex does not like people to run because it messes them up at the plate. So that's why I didn't go crazy on the base paths that year. I think I still stole 18 bases maybe. So I didn't go crazy, but I know it's the playoffs. I knew uh, Feliz just hit the uh, uh, three-run homer off of He tied it off of Jabba. That's right. And it was the World Series tie game, ninth inning. The hell with that, man. Yeah, yeah. and you've got to make things happen in the World Series. And um, Lidge was having his day with the first two hitters, got them out pretty easy. And, you know, I battled, I competed, uh, got on base, and I was like, I've got to go soon. Worst case scenario, I get thrown out. We start the uh, next inning with Tex, A-Rod, if we get there, because I, I'm pretty sure we would have put Mariano in. Um, so I wanted to get in scoring position, and – it's a lot easier to score from third base than uh, second base, especially with the strong arms that the Phillies outfielders had. So uh, there's a lot more ways to score as well. A uh, ball in the dirt, an infield single. Um, yeah, so many more ways to score. And then A-Rod said, yeah, the hell with that. I'm going to rope a double down the left field line, and I'm going to carry the team like it. I mean, dude, yeah. before yeah. you got there, he was the guy who couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Since that Red Sox series, that was like the narrative with A-Rod. Did you guys like try to like calm him? That what was the difference watching A Rod that 2009 postseason? Was it just like the 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 team, the comfort level? What was it about him that year that made him so special? Well, he definitely seemed locked in, but he also 
seemed like he wasn't trying to be the guy. He understands it's a team game. We all do. But he also understood that he doesn't have to get it done all the time. But it seemed like he was getting it done all the time. He had amazing um, key hits uh, leading up to the World Series. And that hit. And like I said, being on third base with Lidget Slider being as nasty as it was that night, he couldn't dig deep with it. You know, if he wanted to throw a crazy slider and goes in the dirt, I still have my wheels, you know, I can still get to home plate and score the go ahead run, but uh, team effort and a rod was huge getting us to the world series and also huge on that hit. I mean, that's definitely the most important game uh, for us going up. Uh, was it three games to one right there? Three yeah. one. And yeah. then of course you had to lose game five. So you come back to the Bronx and right. I remember you, you got hurt in game six, right? Yeah, I remember you hopping uh, around after I, they won. I remember that. Yeah, I got hurt swinging at a pitch and grabbed my uh, uh, hammy, but I I ended up walking, ended up scoring, and I was like, man, son of a gun. I, I wanted to stay in because, I mean, you just do, but I also understand that, you know, Harrison would have been better as a defender at that moment because I just couldn't move. And... Yeah, if we had to go to game seven, I mean, would have been tough facing Cliff Lee for the third time. Hey, and he he was trouble for us. He was trouble for us. Beyond, so, man. Yeah, we, guys we had to get one, that game. Beat you in game five. Good thing the Yankees didn't have to face Cliff Lee in game seven. Yeah. Before we say goodbye, you're beloved, dude, by the Red Sox Nation and the Yankee fans, which is weird because there aren't many guys who <laughs> – fit that description. I can tell you this. Varitek is not beloved by the Yankee fan. A-Rod <laughs> is certainly not beloved by Red Sox Nation. You're one of the few. So now that you think about your career after the fact, does Johnny Damon see himself more as a Boston Red Sox, more as a New York Yankee, or more as a Kansas City Royal? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I relate to all the teams. I believe the fans love me because I always got after it. You know, I would always go hustle. I would always take time to sign autographs for the fans. I would just be that person when the media needed to ask me about, you know, someone's error. I was like, I'm right here. You could ask them, but Oh no, you can't. They're gone already. But I was always accountable for uh, whatever I did on the baseball field and always accountable for everything I do in life and always uh, just get after it. I mean, get this one life. Gotta, um, enjoy every single thing you do. And I enjoyed every single moment I played major league baseball. And, uh, you know, it, you look back and I mean, definitely in the greatest time of your life, you know, you get to travel to these cities, you get to compete with the guys, you got the clubhouse who live a childhood dream. And my childhood dream was to, um, win a world series. And I was blessed to win two and I'm blessed to, uh, just, uh, have, a lot of fans because they know how true I am and they know how, um, how I just got after it, how I always brought my A game. So you bring the A game, but not more of a Red Sox, not more of a Yankee. No, no. Okay. I, I, no, I think people just look at me like, yeah, this guy got after it. A lot of fans to this day, you know, they walk up to me and always want pictures. You were my favorite player. I always told my son, Look at how this guy play plays the game. I want you to play the game that way. So 
the respect factor. I'm very appreciative of it. And, uh, but it's a testament to the way I was raised and the way that I uh, get after playing baseball, get after life. You know, it's, uh, you've got to enjoy it. And I've enjoyed every single moment of my life and, and I'm going to continue. Well, thanks for doing this. And hopefully a couple of goals on the horizon in the charity soccer tournament. Yeah. Have you ever had a hole in one? I have not had a hole in one. We got to work my, on that. Yeah. You and I, I, both, I do. But you have a better chance of getting it done than I do. Just throwing it out. There. <laughs> well, you would be surprised. You can probably go out um, once a year and then boom, lightning strikes. And we're like, and we're looking at you going, it's not that easy. And you're going to think it's easy. But yeah, I definitely want that one day. And I just want to make sure there's not too many people at the golf course that day because you have. It's a bad rule. You have to buy drinks for everyone when everyone should buy you drinks. Yeah, I agree with that. Listen, yeah. I got a whole one. I don't want to pay for a drink. No, exactly. Buy me drinks. <laughs> I'm the one who should be celebrating. Come I, on I, now. I came so close one year to winning a Ferrari at Eric Trump's golf event, and I missed it by this much. And I was like, A Ferrari? Jeez. Oh, yeah, man. Jeez. I was like, And then, of course, the next year they don't have that car there. They. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say they have a you Jeep. Give away a Ferrari. Yeah, I'm 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 downgrading. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe a Land Rover, maybe a Jeep. Just saying. I, I was too close. <laughs> they were scared off by Johnny Damon. Johnny, continued success, man. A game across the board, bro. We'll talk soon. All right. All right. All my best to you. Happy holidays, everyone. All right, that was fun. We'll wrap it up with a bang. Jeff Money's got a pick. We'll welcome in an old buddy of mine, Matt Ehalt. He's now at Sports Illustrated. Join the dark side. He's doing all sorts of betting stuff. So. Get ready for that Thursday night pick. It's not going to be pleasant. So before we say goodbye, my main man, Matt Ehall, is rocking and rolling. He spent a lot of time covering the Mets. Now he has come to the dark side. He's doing all sorts of wagering stuff for Sports Illustrated. He is like the wagering extraordinaire. Matt, it's nice to be living in the dark side. How are you, brother? Good to have you back on the show. Long time, JJ. It's it's great to be back. Great to see you doing big things. Love the podcast. Love everything. Great to be chatting with you as always. Well, I appreciate that. And we're going to get to some futures odds momentarily in the NFL and in Major League Baseball. We'll have some fun with those. Um, Syndergaard, though, you spent a lot of time around him. You knew he was Mr. New York through and through, at least throughout his time here. Were you stunned to find out this morning he signed with the Anaheim Angels? Yeah, you know, I, I was because... If you're the Mets, why not spend an extra two to three million dollars? Now, we can get into the whole aspect of the the draft pick, right? That the Mets are going to get the draft pick, and they could go sign someone else who maybe is a uh, not coming off an injury, like a Gaussman. You could maybe go after those type of guys. Uh, it, it, I'm just the Mets are supposed to be a big money team. Steve Cohen, they want to win in three to five years, and like that draft pick ain't helping you win in three to five years. Now, don't get me wrong; I I, I believe in building teams. You do it through the draft, but it just seems odd. Like over a few million dollars, he's out of town. I mean, I will say there was always a weird relationship a little bit with the Mets and Syndergaard. Like, you know, I mean, I can't comment the last few years, but back when he, you know, when I was covering the team, there was always a kind of a thing about would he leave town? Um, I'm just, I'm a little surprised over a few million that like, again, like, the Mets are the big money team. They're supposed to be able to afford these guys, keep them. Um, So I, I, 
I don't want to crush the mess too much because I want to see what the whole plan is. But it is surprising when you see it was $21 million. It wasn't like three for 60 or something. It was just a few million. Why they didn't keep them and potentially try to do something long term if that was an option. Totally get it, especially when you're a team that's in desperate need of starting pitching. The Mets are yeah. in desperate, oh. desperate need of starting pitching. Now you got to go and give Marcus Stroman $27 million a year. Or you got to go and rely on somebody like Kevin Gossman, who's basically just coming off of one good year. Or, or like 12 good starts. I mean, look at his dip in the second half. I mean, you know, like Gaussman. Like, what are you paying for Gaussman? Are you paying for his 12 good starts? Well, Maddie, think about it. Heaney, who is an embarrassment, got $8 million <laughs> from the Dodgers. Syndergaard just got $21 million and hasn't pitched in two years. So well, what, guys what, like Gaussman and Ray and Stroman are going to get paid a bundle what, what of money. Is, uh, What's Verlander going to get? I mean, you know, people still pay for pitching. I mean, pitching still gets paid. I mean, look at last year, right? Garrett Richards got, I think, about 10 or something for the Red Sox. Kluber got 11. So these these pitchers are getting deals, but it'll be fascinating. I mean, I think we have to see the Mets' whole blueprint in full. But also, like what you said, let's be honest. You really want to give Marcus Stroman $27 million a year no, or something? No, I don't. But now they have uh, no choice. Now yeah, they kind of have I mean, to I, They're backed into a wall to get him. Unless they're going to go do some type of trade. But the problem the Mets have right now is because of the way that in the Brody era, they just kind of churned through draft picks and just kept going all out for one guy. Uh, they don't have the depth at the upper levels because they were not like they were building their drafts around one guy because they, they're, you know, so they they weren't able to have as much depth at the the lower levels. Now, the Mets drafting team is as good as it gets. But when you have a few, you know, when, when the, the you know, when you're doing that type of philosophy, the, the downside is that you maybe don't have as much depth. OK, let's get to some World Series odds, which are way too early, way too ridiculous, whatever. This is what we do this time of the year. Give me the team, Matt, that you think is going to be a major player in free agency that we should be looking to hop on. I'm going to give you the team that I have circled, the Toronto Blue Jays, who just gave Jose Barrios an arm and a leg to come back and be in their rotation for the next couple of years. I think Toronto at 14 to 1 is the number I'm pouncing on right now. How do you feel about that? I that was the one, you know, it's funny that when you said a team that's going to go big in free agency. Now, I don't know how big they'll go because obviously if they bring back Simeon and Ray, uh, th that's a big thing. You know, SI Sportsbook has them at 10 to 1. And I, I mean, I wrote it, uh, you know, a day or two after the season ended. I did right. Blue Jays, I love. I mean, 10 to 1 odds on that team. I mean, you have to think they're going to improve that bullpen, which was their clearest weakness this year. If they bring back Ray, they're able to get, even if they lose Simeon, like that offense is really loaded, even if they lose him. So, I mean, when, when you look, you know, I, I'm a personal guy. I don't know about you, JJ. When it comes to futures, I, I look for the value. I'm 100%. Not a, I, it's I, no I, I fun like, taking the Dodgers or the Braves or the Yankees. It's not fun. Yeah, and it's not it, profitable. I mean, the only way I would recommend one of those is like, like right now, like SI Sportsbook has the, the Yankees at nine to one. That's better than you're probably going to get them when they sign like a Correa or a Seager. So if you want to jump on it, I think, but like the Dodgers are five to one in our book right now. Like I, I would fade that because there's no upside. But no, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, the the Blue Jays, I, I, they just they just scream to me like. How about all this those one, by the way, Maddie? How about this one? Now I don't think they're going to the World Series or anything, but from a value standpoint, number standpoint, the Detroit Tigers who I think are going to spend a lot of money this offseason. They got a lot of young players. Like, if you want to have some fun, 40-1 to 1 with the Tigers, dude, why not? 
Well, if you look at the teams right around them, like let, let's look for a minute, right? The like uh, you know, in our book, the Athletics. Well, apparently they're going to sell. They get rid everybody. of everybody. I don't want to the, invest in that. The no Mariners. Way. I'm sorry. I got to see the Mariners make a playoffs one time before I even believe this. And I know there's rumors they're going to spend and stuff, but let's see. The Reds. I mean, Reds just uh, what did the what did the Reds do the other day? Oh, they they just let Wade Miley go, like just let him go to the Cubs because they didn't want to pay him. The Angels. I mean, the Angels are the Angels. No they way, I'm not taking the Angels. They always so. So those achieve. are the other. Those are the teams in that range. And like, yeah, I mean, why not? The AL Central is not that strong. The guard, you know, the Guardians now, uh, they're they're not that good. I mean, we have them in our book, you, you know, uh, plus six thousand. So like, it's not a not the strongest division in the world. Like, yeah, and hey, maybe they get Correa. Maybe they go get somebody else. I mean, I, I agree with you that if you. I wouldn't recommend that bet, but if you want to have some fun of, uh, like, what could I get at a massive payout? I'd rather take a shot on the Tigers than, like I said, uh, throwing down some money on, like, the Twins or the Athletics or something. Okay, my friend. Let's get to the NFL. And betting the NFL this year has been impossible. Let's be honest. It's been impossible because it's been so week to week. The favorites were cleaning up early in the year. Now the favorites are getting smoked like there's no tomorrow. I mean, you had the Dolphins beating Baltimore. You had the football team taking down Tampa Bay. Um, you had the Bengals losing to the Jets. So, like, it's been all sorts of chaos. Well, two weeks ago, right? I mean, I, I wrote that. So, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll do a self-plug here. Every Monday, SI.com, I do a weekly bad beats, big payouts. Check it out. Um, two weeks. Yeah, uh, I think it was last week, right? The seven biggest favorites all on Sunday didn't cover. It, it, was, it was last week or, or the week before, but all seven didn't cover. And it was incredible. Like, all of the seven biggest favorites all failed to cover. Like, well, to your it's just point. Group for thought, thinking that you're going to go and bet favorites and tease them down and think that's going to be a winning strategy, you're crazy if you think that's the case. And there's no great team. Who is, I, I right agree. now, gut feel, who's the best team in the NFL halfway through the year? You know. Because I don't know. I thought it was I, the Rams I two weeks ago. So and I. I watched the Rams get so smoked I. last night by the Niners. You know. You know. It, it might be the Packers, but but for Aaron Rodgers chokes in the postseason every year. Like like when like Rodgers get uh, Rodgers is like this current Yankee team. He gets there and then he falls every year. So I, I don't know if you could trust Rodgers. I mean, maybe the Bills if you think the offense gets on track. I mean, but but again, like they played the Jets. Like are we are we going to get that excited? They beat down the Jets. Like I. I I don't know. I, I, you know, it's funny to your point. I, I, I was sitting there last night watching that game and I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, who is the best team? Because every team there has flaws. Like every team has looked bad. Like even, you know, even Sunday, the Packers didn't look all that good. It was just Russell Wilson looked like if you and I were out, he couldn't hit anybody to save his life. So, you know, the other team, I'll say the other one, the Cowboys, but again, they got spanked a week ago. So like, but the Cowboys, if this, if Diggs is apparently the second coming of Deion Sanders, and with that offense getting going, like the Cowboys could be a pretty tough out. But 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 again, it's it's also Mike McCarthy. So how much do you trust him? I'm looking at the Super Bowl odds: Buffalo five fifty, Tampa's at six hundred, the Rams are at eight hundred, Green Bay's at eight fifty, um, Arizona nine fifty, Dallas at a thousand, Kansas City at a thousand. Let's be honest, bro, we missed the boat on Kansas City Super Bowl odds. A week ago. Now, I was dumb enough to bet the Raiders, so clearly that was not my <laughs> way of thinking. But after watching Kansas City last week, 
you could have gotten, I'm sure, a much juicier number than what I'm getting right about now. Just saying. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting because I think we all got caught up in this and, like, watching that game Sunday night, right? Like, Mahomes and the Chiefs did what they didn't do. So, 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 you know, I watched the Giants game the previous week and I mean, it was just like, what? In Giants should have won the game, Matty. Yeah, Let's yeah, be yeah. honest. I mean, they should have I mean, won the should, game. And the Packers should have beat them too. So, so they probably should have lost all those games. Cause like, if Aaron Rodgers plays, they lose that game. They should have lost the Giants. They finally started taking the stuff in front of them that instead of just trying to throw the ball 38 yards down the field in every play, like you look Monday night, they got Kelsey involved, which they hadn't done for about six straight weeks. Um, they were just checking the ball down to Daryl Williams, and they kept moving. They kept getting it, and then they got to the end zone. Hill ran by people, and it's like if the Chiefs do that, they're going to be back to what they are. And their defense is actually not—not not that I'm saying they're going to beat anybody with that defense, but the defense has actually played pretty well the last few weeks. So yeah, I mean, you know, but I think it goes back to this, JJ. Like, I don't trust any of those AFC teams. Like, like I think the Ravens. That's where I think the value is, though. I'm glad that you yeah. brought that up. I can't believe I'm saying this because I don't want it to happen, and it will be it will make me sick if it happens. Do we get on board with the Patriots, dude? I got to see them beat somebody good, and what I mean by that is like I don't think the Browns are any good, and I don't think the Chargers are any good. I, I think agree everybody, with that. I think everybody's teams. everybody's in love with the Chargers because their coach says all the analytics right thing, and then they go and lose to a Vikings. Well, team the dirty little secret is the quarter the quarterback has been mediocre three of the last yes. five weeks. He's been yes, mediocre. And, and, Everybody kisses and, his ass, but three to the last five weeks, he's been mediocre. Well, and Mike Williams has completely he's done nothing. Played. Yeah, yeah, in fantasy, I mean, he's MIA. Winners I think protection his, program. I think his last four, I wrote in my column Monday, like 10 catches for, last four games, 10 catches for 137 yards. Like, I mean, that's, um, yeah, so, but everybody loves Brandon Staley because he says the right thing at the at the podium, but again, they go out and they lose. I, I, I've had this talk, JJ, and I'm curious your thoughts. I've had this talk with some Patriot fans of mine. I'm like, I think the Patriots are good. I just can't tell if they're a legitimate contender or if they've beaten up some bad. Because if you look at their wins, right? Like, well, they okay, beat they, the Jets twice. They beat right. the Chargers. They beat the they Texans. Beat the, I know it's not exactly the, murderers the Browns but and, the, and the Panthers. Spent, but you just said it a minute ago. The AFC is not any good. Right. So I get a top-notch coach, the best to ever do it. I get maybe a top-five defense in the league a running game, and a quarterback who's not going to screw it up. Listen, I don't want them in a Super Bowl. I don't think they're on the level of the top teams. But from a value standpoint, Matty, we're talking value. There's value there, in my opinion. I, I, I agree. I agree with that. But I'll tell you, actually, the team I would take a look at, like in our book, you got them at 14-1, to 1, the Ravens. Because Lamar is playing really well. But now, he I know never they laid, wins in the playoffs, but, but dude. I know they laid, never. An against, they laid an egg against your boys. But I'll say this. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong here. Marquise Brown is playing at such a good level right now. Bateman's added a lot to that offense. Lamar is passing the ball better. I, I think there's potential. I, again, I'm just going through the rest. Like, am I going to take the Bills at plus, no. you know, six to one? No, no. value. Like, no, no, no value. So if I'm looking at those teams like the Ravens, I, I, again, like, and I feel this is the, it's, it's kind of the fun of this season somewhat in the NFL is every team we go through, you could say something because you could say, like I'm saying the Ravens here. I also know this, the Ravens defense is terrible this year. They can't get a stop to save their lives. I mean, look at all those games. Like they gave up 31 to the, uh, to, you know, they gave up 40 to Baker Mayfield, who right now is terrible. Uh, they gave up 31 to the Vikings. They can't get a stop. So it's like every team we can go through the, the flaws and stuff. So I, I mean, but, but the Ravens are one that I think if you look at the Ravens schedule, it's pretty easy, and their best and their two toughest games are at home, and they get the Rams and the Packers. So they have a. I mean, the funny thing here is we haven't even brought up the Titans. 
Well, and and you know what? The Titans, if they ever get Henry back, they might be the favorite to go win the AFC, and they continue to get disrespected. MVP. Forget about Allen. Forget about Brady. I have two lined up. Jackson at 12 to 1. The other one I like is Dak at 7 to 1, even though he missed the week, because I think he's going to continue to put up monster numbers. Rodgers, forget it. There's no way in the world he's winning the MVP. They are never going to reward him after what happened this year. Just that's the way it goes. Whether he deserves it or not, it doesn't matter. He's not winning the award. He doesn't have the numbers right now either. No, like, that's his, another his thing. Has, I'm going like, to say, what do you think about Dak and Lamar for MVP? I'm thinking about both of those right now on FanDuel. I think Dak has, I think Dak, it, it, you know, it, it's interesting because every guy, right, we can make the case that there's been a, a letdown, right? Like a week ago, you might have said Stafford. Well, Stafford's last two games are, Awful. you know, Kyler, Kyler Murray is out of it because of the injuries and stuff. Dak is a good, uh, I mean, here, here's one. I, I mean, like, let's be honest, right? This is usually a quarterback award. Jonathan Taylor, Cooper Cup, like, could this be the year where... I can't see it. I can't I, see it. I, I admire your little chutzpah and your intestinal fortitude yeah. to try to think differently. You know they're giving it to a quarterback. No, I, I, but I, the only reason I, I mention that is I don't think any quarterback is currently having the oh my god yes. year we have to give. I it agree to with him. that. So That's I'm fair. just saying, if there was ever a year for like a guy like Cup, who even last night in like a game that that they did nothing somehow got twenty something fantasy points, maybe it's this year. I, I don't know, but if you, I agree with you, it's going to somehow be a quarterback. Dak and Brady. Probably see because like like you know Tom's gonna have a few of those like screw you games coming up where he goes for like six touchdowns and stuff like like the poor Giants man they they feel good they get a win they're gonna get steamrolled in Tampa like they're coming off their bye and they're just gonna get demolished so Dak yeah I mean I, I, again it's just because Josh Allen has has not really been Josh Allen you know uh. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to sound like Francesa here when I'm like, he's, he hasn't been him. And when he's him, he's him. Uh, but, you know, the Josh Allen hasn't really been. And, and then I, I agree with you, though. Probably Lamar and, and uh, Dak. Although, hey, maybe, like you said, maybe a week ago, if you bet Patrick Mahomes, you might have got some decent Well, decent that's odds. the thing. The, the ship has sailed on that. Right. But, you know, never say never. And that's why these odds are, like, ever-changing. They're week-to-week. They're so much fun. Uh, before you say goodbye, and I love the stuff on SI, it's fabulous stuff. You gamble on games every week. It's fun to go through those bad beats and some of the wins of the week. You need it. Sometimes you need the therapy. Sometimes it's a good cleanse. Um, Yankees shortstop in 2022. Gut feel. Who is it? Corey C. I agree with that. I think there has been a lot of smoke there where maybe there hasn't been with Correa. And I think there is something to be said. Now, personally, I think Correa is the better player. He's a badass. Correa is a badass. He's a monster. But let's be honest. Even though I think the comments are a whole lot to do about nothing and somewhat legitimate when it comes to Derek Jeter's defense, I'm sure the Yankee fan, some of them at least, didn't love hearing that. I, for one, couldn't care less. It doesn't bother me at all. I really don't care. I, I mean, it's like Johnny David hit the... You know, the, the Bro, that's the thing. I had Curtis. Johnny and on he, the pod. Johnny Damon, Roger Clemens, Wade Boggs, Garrett Cole. Like, uh, please, please. You're welcome I with mean, open arms like, if he plays we, well. We can go through all those guys. Like, if you really want to pinpoint the moment, like, like Johnny Damon's thing 
ended the Yankees' dominance over the Red Sox. Like, we could go through that whole series, but legitimately when it became 6 nothing, that was the start of the, the swap and the rivalry and stuff. But, like, I, I, I think this. I think Correa is the better player. Here's, here's me just putting on my GM cap for a second with the Yankees. They want a lefty, it's clear. Seager is a lefty. If Volpe or Peraza are as good as they think they are, they move him to third base. There's talk that Seager will switch to third base, kind of like his brother. You maybe slide him off where Correa maybe stands. Now, I'll say this. I don't think you shouldn't be building around prospects unless you're sure this is like an oh-my-God miss. And I know Volpe had a great year, but again, I think I forget if he played in, in low A. I think he was in low A or, or high A. I forget, but but I don't think he was in. I forget what league he was in. But I would say that I could see them in their room saying, Seager, lefty back, it's light of the third, allows us to keep Volpe, Peraza uh, versus maybe Correa. Now, Correa, you could do the same thing, but Correa is a better defensive player than Seager is. So my guess is there's been a lot more smoke about about Seager. And I also think the Yankees like realize that, oh, it's good to have some lefties. In the what a concept. Up. What a, what a it, concept. It, 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 only, only took this regime five years with this core to figure it out. Buddy, don't be a stranger. On SI, where can we find you? Monday? What's the deal? Monday, Monday. Uh, bad beats and big payouts. I, I recap the the, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, you know, it's the always ugly. Say- basically, would be in my picks. You should start posting my picks on Sunday, and then just recapping how ugly they are week in and week out. If you ever need a content, I'm more than happy to provide. You, you know, JJ on Sunday, I'll tell you this: my uh, uh, my brother's a big Packer fan, and one of his fr- uh, friends was over the house, so it, in Connecticut. And Connecticut's now going all out with the sports. I love credits. it. It's fabulous. Um, it's fantastic. And he, and he said, oh, they're sitting there looking over the bats. And I was like, you know who I'd go after today? I was like, I like Seahawks plus yeah, three and so a half. Yeah, so did I. I yeah, was like, makes oh, two of us. I love the three and a half. And then Russell Wilson, like, like I mean. Was Get just, shut out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I Sounds was like, well, right. I guess I'm an expert because I, I thought the Seahawks three and a half. When I got that extra half, I was like, oh, I love it. So I, I did about as well. Uh, you know, I, I can't say my picks were uh, all that good this weekend either. Well, buddy, don't be a stranger. Continued success. Good having you back on the pod. We'll talk soon, all right? All right. Thanks for having me, as always. The great Matt E. Holt. Always good hearing his voice and trying to figure out some odds. MVP, Super Bowl, World Series. We're always churning. Before we say goodbye, the great Jeff Money. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicap of picks. This could be for the Thursday night game. Now, it's not going to be part of my contact place because we always uh, pick our uh, Thursday play. I'm going to go with the Patriots minus the seven over the Falcons on the road. So that's going to be my week 11 Thursday night game. Away team, I'm going to take the Patriots minus the seven. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money, we are heads up once again, my friend, because New England is getting way too much public love. This is such an overreaction to what you saw last week. And I know you're going to need your barf bag because Atlanta is not a sound, top-notch defensive team. I'm taking the Falcons plus the points. Now, I hope I get it to seven and a half. I really do. But I'm going to take the Atlanta Falcons and say my prayers. Fun show. Loaded show. Guys, fabulous job. We're at the Nick game tomorrow, so we'll have some stories from that. And then our Football Friday pod. Joe B, Arthur Caesar, Jason Katz. We'll have you covered every which way. JJ out. Enjoy your Wednesday. We'll chat Thursday. Be good, everybody.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 